Well, good morning, New Hope. I am so thankful that you are joining us online. Uh, moving the church online is not new to us. And uh, here we are today with our first major winter weather system of 2022. And I'm so glad you are with us. We're gonna wrap up our series today titled Lift Ticket. And what we did is we've gone back and we found a message that we believe fits perfectly at the end of this series. And I wanna go ahead and tell you, the message is on stewardship. It's on understanding God's word and what God says to us about our resources and handling his money. And here's what I know. Some of you are going to be tempted right now to log off because of the subject matter. And I wanna encourage you not to do that. You see, the reason you're tempted to log off is the very same reason why Jesus spoke so much about this topic in the scriptures. Because God knows that if he can get a person handling their money faithfully, he has a fully devoted follower on his hands. So grab you a Bible, grab a journal, snuggle up with someone that you love if you're with your family or if you're by yourself, just lean in and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. I believe God has a word for you today. Hey, I love you. I'm praying for you. And I uh, can't wait to experience church with you next Sunday back on site. We are kicking off a brand new series titled One Matters next Sunday. Hey, have a great day today. Have a wonderful Monday tomorrow as we as a nation celebrate and honor the great late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Let us remember as a church that part of God's calling upon us is to continue to live out his dream. Have a great Sunday and God bless. And I want you to open up your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter four. 2 Kings chapter four. Many of you will have heard this story a long time ago, but you probably haven't heard it in a long time. And many of you will have never actually heard this biblical passage before, which means I am so excited to unpack it for you today. 2 Kings chapter 4, 1 through 7, do me a favor and stand and honor the word of the Lord today. Would you do that for me? The wife, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, not Elijah, different Old Testament character, but Elijah. Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Stop right there. You get the scene? There's this woman. She's married to a godly man. He dies. She has two boys. She immediately becomes a single mom. Any single moms in the house? Come on, single moms, single moms. Like, you're my heroes. I've said that so many times from stage. <laughs> and, may, and maybe that's because I know how much work it is to raise a child with two parents. And those of you who do it alone, it's something. And so here, here she is. Her husband dies. It's a bad situation. Her husband dies. He's in debt. The debtors come and say, you're in debt to us. And since you don't have the money to pay us, we're going to take your boys and make them slaves. That's a desperate situation. Elijah, verse 2, replied to her, but how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. 
Elijah said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. She left them and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept what church? Pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. May God Almighty bless the reading, the standing, the hearing, and the applying of his word. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. You got to know that oil was a precious commodity. You got to know that this is an amazing passage of scripture about a miracle that unfolds in and around a financial matter. Here's the first thing I want to say to you today. God loves to show up in desperate situations. Come on now. God loves to do what? Show up in desperate situations. And if I could go back and write that part of the message again, I would say God loves to show up and he loves to show off in desperate situations. And sometimes, I know you know this probably as good as I do, desperate situations can come out of nowhere. They can hit you when you least expect it. And in the arena of finances, the same is true. But God, everybody say, but God. But God loves to show up and show off in desperate situations. Did you notice verse one? Come on, let's read it out loud together. Verse one, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elijah, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slave. The woman was in a desperate situation. And I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but what really caused the desperate situation of this woman? Debt. What do you think the boys thought? And by the way, this might be the first time in the history of humanity that the boys listen to their moms right away. Mom said, go get some jars. And the boys are like, all right, it's either go get some jars or be a slave. They go and they get the jars and then God shows up in an amazing way. I don't have time to talk about it today, um, but I will just say in passing, some of you have heard me do this before. If you want a tried and true recipe for your finances, here it is. Number one, and we've been talking about this the last two weeks, honor God right off the top. First fruits given. Everybody say first fruits. You, this is biblical. We've taught it the last two weeks. Again, go check it out. But they, the faithful man or woman of God takes the income and they honor God with 10% right off the top. Now, you've heard that from a lot of pastors, and as the story will show you a little bit later, some of you have heard it taught poorly. 
And for that, I'm sincerely sorry. Number two, seek God and do what he says. Seek God and do what he says. The first one is what? God loves to show up when? In desperate situations. That's exactly right. Number two, this passage teaches us to seek God and do what he says. Elijah replied to her, verses two through five. How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? The servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elijah said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few now. I love that. Circle that if you got your Bibles open. Don't ask for just a few. In other words, the prophet was saying to her, don't let your vision be too small. We serve a God of abundance. Can I get an amen? We serve a God, Ephesians 3, 20, who wants to do immeasurably more, come on, than you can ask or imagine. We serve a God of enough, amen? Elijah said, go ask all your neighbors for envy jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. And the blessings of God started to flow in her life. But don't miss this. She had to seek God and she had to do what he said. She had to seek God and what church? More than anything today, I want to encourage you. There's going to come a day in your life and maybe it's been during this series. There's going to come a day in your life when you're going to have to decide, am I going to do things my way or am I going to do things God's way? Remember, Jesus is looking at a crowd of 5,000 men. This little boy walks by. He's got five loaves and two fish. Do you remember what happened? Jesus asked him for it. The little boy gives it to him. Did you, did you remember verse 38? Of course not. Let me help you out. Verse 38. Read it out loud with me. Verse 38. How many loaves do you have? One more time. How many loaves do you have? Now, please don't miss this. Some of you came just for this today. The miracles of God always come when we offer God what we already have, even when we feel like it is not enough. Some of you are here, and as I've been talking about finances the last few weeks, you've been making excuses, you've been bargaining with God, you've been, some of you have been mad at me, and I love you, I'm sorry, we're moving on after today. Let the church say amen. And you've been struggling, and you've been bargaining, and you've been trying to figure this thing out because you don't feel like you have enough. And I hear you, and I get it. And that's most of us, by the way. But hear me, the miracles of God always come when we offer God what we already have, even when we feel like it is not enough. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, broke it, multiplied it, and fed the thousands. Watch this. 
What if we just gave thanks? What if you and I became better and we gave thanks for what feels like not enough and then just gave that to God? Like when you're there and you just don't feel like you have enough finances or whatever, what if you just became good at saying, God, instead of trying to get more and worry about this and worry about that and stress out and worry about things and get all full of anxiety, what if I just gave him what I had, even if it didn't feel like enough, and I gave thanks for him? The woman thought she had nothing. What did she have, though, church? She had a little oil. She had her sons. They weren't slaves yet. She had her neighbors. She had access to the man of God. She had the help to go see the man of God. She had all these things. What do you, what do you have? Sometimes when we feel like we don't have enough, here's what we do. We lose the right perspective and we go zero sum and we get discouraged. And the passage says, you know what? You have what you need because if you take God and he takes his super and he puts it with my natural, he takes his extra and he puts it with my not enough. God is in the miracle working business and he can work miracles in my life always. He is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. Hey, I want you to hear from two other people. I, um, I was in a Bible study about two months ago, and um, this couple started sharing their story. And I just want to let you know that when they first started sharing the story, I got really, really mad. Um, I got angry. And again, this is why many pastors, me included, probably don't talk about money enough because there's been so many, so many damaging methods and teachings happening in the church. So we tend to stay away from it. But they start sharing how um, the church that they were attending in New York was teaching them uh, this theology um, of cursed, that they were cursed when it came to these finances. And my tears and my anger went from frustration uh, to tears of joy when they started sharing how God moved in their lives. They put God first they trusted God, and God moved them to an area called North Carolina. Check this out. This is so good. Desde muy pequeño, yo asistía a la iglesia. Mi abuela y mi mamá siempre me llevaban, pero siempre creía que la iglesia eran reglas y obras que hay que hacer para ir al cielo. Y una de sus enseñanzas siempre ha sido el diezmo, que si usted no daba su diezmo, um, usted era maldito por Dios y hasta la maldición caía sobre sus finanzas. Y por mucho tiempo yo me sentía así, sentía que la maldición estaba sobre mi vida, mis finanzas, y me sentía también como un ladrón porque así nos enseñaban, hasta el punto de que yo no me sentía salvo y que había perdido mi salvación. very tough for us in the beginning. We're just recently married and this, the same church we attended always said about the tithing and everything. They went to the forest and asked you how much you made a year so they could actually have the books to let you know that you're given the exact 10% because if you didn't, that means you're stealing from God. You can't even help clean the church if you were not tithing. 
one point we went through a financial situation where my grandmother passed away. My mom didn't have a lot of money, and my uncle either, so we had to help. Part of my savings went towards the funeral, and we tried to do our best because we love God. We love, we love worshiping. Before practice, our worship leader asked me to come to the side, and I was sat down. Pretty much told me, "We have checked your records. You're not consistent in your tithing." I tried to explain to them. I said, "Look, I, I went through this situation, and I'm going through a hard time." But their response was, "Well, you know, you have to be faithful no matter what. You know, that's why you can't prosper." because you're not doing it the way you're supposed to be doing it. It felt like my whole world in, in ended because we love being part of the, of, of the worship team. I felt really low that day, and I really questioned God, you know, is this is really what you are? It pained me to see my husband that way. He wanted it to leave the ministry. He was questioning his faith. He was questioning God, that God was punishing us, that we were cursed. And it hurt me because to me, how can my God that I worship and that I love, you know, can be a punishing God that way. So I saw some online videos and a, and a preacher was talking about, you know, the old-fashioned churches and how they used to tell you, you must give the 10% because if you don't, things are going to happen to you. Either a car will break down, your heater will go out, or you're going to get sick and go to the hospital and pay money for your sickness. He was mentioning that they make God look like a mobster, you know, because a mobster would say, if you don't pay your dues, I'm going to break your legs, I'm going to break your fingers. It wasn't about the money issue, it was more of a heart issue. So we started praying. I asked God if this wasn't it for us, then he needed to move us out. So I did apply to other places, nobody called me. And then I saw Duke University Hospital. And miraculously, I got an offer letter. But when I saw the uh, salary, I was like, oh gosh, this is like $20,000 less than I made in New York. So I questioned God. I said, God, is this really what you want me? But, you know, I saw how God opened each door. We had peace that surpassed understanding and that we knew that it was his timing. And then when we came to see this place, it just confirmed. That God was pushing us to North Carolina. Before I moved, I always wanted to have a church to go to. So I did what everyone would do. I Googled churches near me and ended up um, seeing the church five minutes away, and it was New Hope Church. When he said the word New Hope, he doesn't know that. For me, that was like, wow, New Hope. Like, this is really like a new hope for us. And uh, we ended up going one Sunday, and then we saw this guy with the Mickey hands. And we saw the joy of the Lord in his life. I mean, he's in, out in the sun, you know, and greeting everyone with this big Mickey hands. And we made a joke with the kids because our old church thought that Disney characters were all from the devil and they were all evil. But we could see the joy of God and just the people that are directing you to park your car. I've never experienced that in my life, to feel that welcome into the parking lot. It made us feel like, wow, they do care for the people who come to this church. We felt something in our hearts that said that we were home. 
know, the one song that I remember and my wife remembers is I'm no longer slave to fear. I'm a child of God. I realized that I didn't believe it before because I was always seeing the negative side, like the punishment. And so for me, that freedom that I felt at that moment, it, it just changed me. And we never had that in our lives, you know, thinking from coming broken to thinking you're cursed to know that the love of Christ is there for you. Now I can tell you that I have experienced God's love and he doesn't love me because I do this or that or because I don't. We started to know what the true gospel of, of God was. He started mending our hearts. We've never seen a church invest so much on people, invest so much on reaching people for Christ. I told my wife, I says, we gotta start doing something. We gotta give something. And we're honoring God by our first fruits. And we start seeing God's blessing in our lives. To see my son recommit his life to Christ, my daughter get baptized. My son just started sponsoring a child. I mean, that is coming from his heart. To see that he wants to give for a mom is, is a joy. We felt like what the Bible says, being a cheerful giver, that we're part of that gospel being preached and reached out to people everywhere. I never regret giving, you know, a cent for the church because it's not for the church, it's for the kingdom of God. I'm a steward of, of God. God bless me, so now I am putting that to work. It just makes me just do more for him. And it's not forced, it's something willingly that you just want to do it because you know you're working for the, for the kingdom of God. It comes from our heart. We're just joyful. We truly know now the joy of giving, no longer a slave to uh, the curse that we thought we were. And we are so happy that we are able to give for the kingdom of God. That's good stuff, church. If you're here and you've ever been browbeaten by a pastor or a church, wow, I can see some of it on your faces. And you've ever been told that you're cursed, I'm I'm sincerely sorry on behalf of Jesus and his church. I am so sorry. God loves you. Like, there's nothing you can do today that will make God love you any more than he already loves you. Conversely so, there's nothing you can do today or tomorrow that will make God love you any less. He just loves you. He's love. And he's given everything you have, he's given it to you. And he just wants to partner with you and use your life and use your stuff and use your resources that he gave you to bless your life. 
The, the third and final thing, and again, I just want to encourage you today. I, we're going to wrap this bad boy up, but here, here's the third thing. First of all, remember, God shows up, and he shows off in desperate situations. Have you ever seen it? Come on. Secondly, secondly, you got to seek God and do what he says. Not because you're cursed or you will be cursed or you won't be cursed. But if you want to tap into the blessings and the favor of God, seek God and do what he says. Learn his word. Do what he says. Have I done that yet in this service? I, sometimes I go do services. I don't know. I forget what I said. Say that with me. Learn his word. Do what he says. Learn his word. Do what he says. Give me a little more energy. Learn his word. Do what he says. Now I got to ask you, had I done that yet? I didn't think so. Good. Praise the Lord. Learn his word and what? Do what he says. And here's the final thing. If you will, expect miracles. Expect miracles. Write it in. Expect miracles miracles. Verses 5 through 7, she left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she what, church? She kept pouring. Verse 6, when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went in and told the man of God and he said, go sell that oil. Pay off your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. It was a miracle of Almighty God. And that's what I'm praying will happen in your life as I've prayed that it would happen in my life. That fires me up. We serve a miracle working God. We serve a God who can step into your desperate situation and when it feels like it's not enough he can break you in just the right places and he can pour out his blessings and his favor and his kindness in your life. He is a miracle working God. But you've got to get to a place listen where you trust him. Where you trust him with what you have. God provided enough. Everyone say enough. God gave more than enough. Everybody say more than enough. God fixes tough, desperate situations. If you believe it, let me hear an amen. One more thing and I'm done. You might have heard about this before. You guys ever heard about the old violin? This is an old one. Pray that I don't drop it. If I drop it, my friendship with a really good friend might be in jeopardy. This is a hundred plus year old violin. I'm gonna sit it right there and pray that it won't fall. Let me tell you about the violin's touch. You might have heard of this. It's a poem and it's a true story and I won't read all the poem, but I'll read a little bit. The, the poem starts out like this. "'Twas battered and scarred and the auctioneer thought it's hardly worth my time to waste on this old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I to bid, good people, he cried. Who starts the bidding for me? One dollar, one dollar, maybe two dollars, two dollars. How about three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, three dollars gone. But no, right in that moment, in the far back of the crowd, an old gentleman stood up 
with gray hair and a gray beard. And he walked down front and he took the old violin in his hand and he, he tightened up the strings and he took the bow and he put it to his shoulder and all of a sudden he started playing this absolutely beautiful melody, pure and sweet. The music ceased and the auctioneer with the renewed energy in his voice started to declare again. What now am I to bid for this old violin as he held it up and its bow? 1,000, 2,000, maybe 3,000. 3,000 gone once, 3,000 gone twice, 3,000 gone. The audience cheered, but some of them declared, we just don't understand what changed its worth Swift came the reply from the auctioneer. Here's what changed its worth. It was the touch of the master's hand. The poem goes on. And many a man with life out of tune, all battered and bruised with hardship, is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A game and he travels on. He is going once, he is going gone. But the master comes. And the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. My prayer for you as we wrap up this series, my prayer for you is that the touch of the master's hand will be upon your life. And what I sincerely want for you is for you to trust God enough to honor him with what is already his in the first place. Honor him. And my prayer is that the master will touch your life. And that as people come into your life, as relationships come into your life, a spouse, a children, whatever the case may be, a vocation, a new job, whatever the case may be, that people will see, here is a woman, here is a man, here is a young adult who trusts God and their life has been touched by the master's hand. May that touch be yours this day and forevermore. Amen, amen, and amen.